0: Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Mr. Jeff Williams, who is the co founder and CTO of Contrast Security. Jeff is also one of the founders of the Open Web Application Security Project Foundation uh, which I think is also known as OWASP, which is a nonprofit um, organization that, um, helps to disseminate information related to, uh, security development or DevOps security, et cetera. Um, but before we get too far into this, let's, uh, let's welcome Jeff. Jeff, how are you today?
1: Hey, great, Mark. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, my pleasure. Um, I noticed that normally you're uh, located in Washington, DC. How are yeah. things back there these days? Probably a, a big, a large amount of activity, I would think.
1: Well, I'm just happy that it's warming up. We're coming out of winter, so uh, the daffodils are blooming. So there's some good news. I like to focus on the good news. Uh, you know, I think that with the uh, the Ukraine situation and uh, the current political situation, it's always a bit of a circus in d c.
0: Yeah, let's focus on the flowers. No, it's funny. Yeah. I uh, um, you mentioned daffodils because I'm from Washington State, and 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 that's one of the things that um, let us know that spring's on the way. I did spend five right. years in Japan, and they don't know what a daffodil is, but they know what the cherry blossoms are. So, because that's that means spring's on the way. So we all have our little um, you know, harbingers there. So hey, yep. um, Jeff, we're going to talk to you uh, about serverless te- technology. Before we do that, maybe you can tell us a little bit about Contrast Security.
1: Yeah, so uh, Contrast Security is a newer application security company. There's a, a, a sort of a first generation of AppSec companies that started up in the early 2000s, that created static analysis tools and dynamic analysis tools and web app firewalls. And for a long time, that was kind of the way to do it. And over over time, applications have gotten more complicated. They've changed their architecture. And actually, as we'll get to, serverless is like the, continuing that trend. Um, and the the tools stop working as well. And so Contrast is trying to serve the modern application or designed to work in a much different way, you know, sort of continuous monitoring and uh, analyzing from the inside out as opposed to trying to scan from the outside in. And we can talk a little bit more about why, but uh, the benefits are that it's much more accurate, fits into modern development processes much better. And you know ultimately helps you I would say it helps you become healthy as a security organization as opposed to you know the signs of unhealthy security are things like massive backlog of vulnerabilities, really long feedback loops. like uh, I think one of the one of those traditional companies published a study that said it takes two hundred and ninety days on average to fix a vulnerability that was already found. That's just way too long. There's no feedback loop there. There's no devops. And so you know appsec has to change. It has to keep up with modern security. and we have a whole platform designed to help companies do that.
0: Well, you know it's interesting. at what point did, did you start to see a shift be, um, from kind of the traditional perimeter approach to security versus you know what we need to build it in or bake it into to to our apps.
1: Yeah, it's funny that the security community is really good at, uh, at like divergent thinking. (laughs) Right. On the one hand, they say you got to build security in. And at the same time, they're trying to sell you tools that scan from the outside and and generally work at the end of the life cycle. And I think we're doing a really good job of, uh, you know, changing that, giving developers tools that they actually want to use, that they can be effective with, because ultimately, there's a like an economic problem in application security. It, all the work can't go through a small application security team. If you've got thousands of developers, you can't have a team of like 10 people that all the work has to go through. It just doesn't right. scale. So you have to find a way to empower development teams to do application security their, themselves without having security people in the critical path. Security people are great. They need to be involved. They should be doing things like threat modeling and security architecture and coaching and toolsmithing and so on. But they can't be in the critical path of software into production because it doesn't scale. It's not fast enough.
0: Well, and, and we're going to come back to that in a second. But before we go too far down that road, let's um, let's back up and and, and and maybe you can tell us a little bit about serverless technology, and then we'll we'll look at what you're talking about in the context of serverless technology.
1: Yeah. So serverless or functions as a service is a way of, of building code without a lot of infrastructure. So instead of having to, you know, go get some hardware, install an operating system, put on an application server, put in your application and then manage that thing over time. Instead, you can just take that little piece of business logic that you wanted to act. that was the whole point of all that work, Instead, you can just take that little piece of business logic and drop it into Amazon or, uh, or uh, Azure or GCP. They all have uh, functions. And they will run that code for you in an incredibly scalable way. So in, in sort of uh, consumption-based uh, compute so that if you need it to scale, it'll scale automatically. But you you get what you were shooting for, putting that code out there so people can use it. But you don't have to host all that infrastructure, so it, it fundamentally changes the economics of of creating a compute environment.
0: Um, when you outsource, you know, the, the hosting to you know AWS or to um, one of the other cloud providers, are you in some sense outsourcing part of the infrastructure security?
1: Absolutely.
0: And okay. you should. So, okay. So. Uh, okay. And. It, it, because, because one of the conflicts is, is you know, uh, traditionally we have this perimeter approach, and th- that perimeter approach oftentimes really is dealing with with infrastructure, right? Yeah. And and so if your infrastructure is secure, but your apps aren't, that's still an issue. And so what I'm uh, assuming you're going to say is, you hey, you can outsource to these cloud providers, but you still need to secure your application. Is is that where we're going?
1: Uh, well, sure, uh, absolutely. Um, I think it's a great idea to let someone who focuses on infrastructure all the time do your infrastructure security. Uh, I think they're a lot better at it than most organizations. There are some organizations out there that can secure their infrastructure, for sure. But uh, the big cloud providers, they do a pretty good job at that. And you have to, you know, you have to keep on top of it, make sure that it's it's set up right. But in general, I think you can get away from a lot of that work. But you're right, uh, you can have an insecure application on a, a secure infrastructure. And you have to make sure that there's no code vulnerabilities. Uh, I used to make an analogy to, uh, you know, sending a, a bomb or poison or something through the, the postal service. Like you, the postal service can be completely secure. It can deliver what it's supposed to deliver to where it's supposed to go on time uh, and everything, but you can still send attacks through the postal system,
0: right? It, it's been done, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> kind of scary actually. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and there's not much that the postal service can do about it actually. You can try and filter the mail, but it, you know, short of opening every envelope and you know detonating every uh, thing that's being sent, it's really tough so you really have to do application security where you write the code as part of that process
0: okay so now let's let's kind of go back to that um, you know the the point that we were you were making earlier is that you know you can have these security specialists but when it comes to you know software development or app development you really don't want to have these standalone experts you want to have security as part of the you know the development process can you explain why and how?
1: Yeah, well, so the the why is pretty easy. If you look at the economics, you're you're probably building code faster than your your siloed application security team can secure it. And what ends up happening in a lot of organizations is they have tools, but they false alarm all over the place. and so they uh, you know they start cutting down on the rule set. they turn off rules. And eventually you end up with a really expensive cross-site scripting detector. Like it it detects a very narrow range of vulnerabilities and doesn't give you a lot of uh, real security. So uh, the, the, how is I think, you know, there's a few steps. First, you have to find tools that are fast and accurate. Accurate is really important because if your tools are inaccurate then you kind of have to have experts involved. And, you know, those traditional tools, the the outside-in scanners, they're not really very accurate. Uh, Probably shockingly inaccurate if you're not familiar with this area. But if you have to have experts involved, then you've got an economic problem. And so if you need tools that are really accurate, the ones that work from the inside out, instrumentation-based tools, tend to be way more accurate. And that means that you can cut the security team out of the loop. You can give developers findings directly. If it's fast, then you can shorten those feedback loops dramatically, give developers great feedback right in the tools they're already using instantly. They can just fix the code, check it in, and you can keep on developing cool stuff. Uh, If you have to wait 290 days, you're you're not going to, you know, you're going to have to create tickets and open things back up again. And probably got different developers fixing it than the ones that wrote it originally. So there's a whole context uh, loss going on.
0: So the tools become the security expert uh, and, or they facilitate or they help the developers to kind of basically have that expertise. Uh, How do you keep, how does do you ensure that the tools, I guess it's the same problem with tools or people. I mean, how how do you ensure the fact that they're up to date with the latest vulnerabilities?
1: Yeah. So the good news is that there's a limited number of uh, really important application security problems. So they've been mostly the same since the early 2000s. Like I wrote the the first version of the OS top 10 I wrote in 2002. And it had things in it like uh, SQL injection and cross-site scripting and uh, uh, path traversal and things like that. And those are some of the most important problems that there are today. Now, over the years, there have been a few things added, uh, you know, new classes of vulnerabilities that have come out, but they don't change that much. So, if you have behavioral rules, you know, it, it doesn't work if you're looking for like you know regex patterns, but if you've got more behavioral kind of rules, your tools can support those classes of vulnerabilities easily and find all the instances of those problems. So, I'll give you an example. If you tried to write a regex that would catch all SQL injection, it would be really hard. You'd have to look for, you know, single tick or one equals one or one equals, or or two equals two, like this, an infinite variety of SQL injection attacks. But if you have a rule that says, hey, your application should never take untrusted data and put it in a query without escaping or parameterizing it first, that's a rule that you can enforce across everything. And that's the that's the kind of rule that uh, we enforce with contrast, and it's really effective. So there's not a, as much keeping up to date with stuff. Now you do have known vulnerabilities, like you know the kinds of vulnerabilities in log4j that just uh, created a big uh, a problem for companies. Um, known library, known vulnerabilities in libraries is something you do have to keep up with. And there, you need someone with a, a good database that's monitoring the situation and keeping their their database up to date with all the latest vulnerabilities. And then you can just see if you're using those vulnerable versions of those libraries. But that's a sort of a different problem than finding custom code vulnerabilities in the code that you wrote.
0: Makes makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of like um, you know earlier you're talking about outsour- outsourcing function as a service or the, um, the, the, hosting to the, to the, to the cloud providers. And, um, you know, at, at the same time, you can outsource the, the security aspects to, to a company that what specializes it, but also is aware of the latest signal and the, la- the latest threats. And you can, that will kind of adopt the tool to detect those threats. Yeah, um,
1: I think about it this way is, is as you're developing code, you also wanna be making your pipeline stronger and stronger. It's it's almost another deliverable out of your development team. So that pipeline is guaranteeing certain things about the code. It's gonna guarantee first probably quality, then security, then performance. And as you go, you're gonna add capability to the pipeline to ensure that these properties are, are automatically tested into everything that you build. And so you know, think of it as a process of of building up over time, and you know you might add a product like contrast early on that's going to catch a whole bunch of stuff, but then as you go forward, you may want to you know raise the bar over time and add things to that pipeline uh, to make it even stronger as you go forward.
0: And with contrast, can you uh, adjust the sensitivity?
1: You can, of course. Uh, Generally, you don't need to do that nearly as much as you would with a sort of a traditional tool that you need to teach about your framework, teach about your your security controls, all those sorts of things. Um, But of course, you may have a custom access control scheme that nobody's ever seen before in your application or your serverless function. And that's something that you'd probably want to tell Contrast about. So that then Contrast can start checking that for you. To make sure, so for instance, to check, to make sure that every API has the right access control check in it, things like that.
0: Excellent. So l- let me ask you this. When you go into to an organization uh, and, and, and start talking to them about securing DevOps, do you talk, do you, do you start with the security team? Do you start with the development team? Who do you, who do you initiate the conversation with?
1: It, it varies a bit. And I think we're in a transitional period right now. Uh, basically, okay. uh, organizations are are shifting from a sort of a centralized security team handling AppSec to giving more and more of those responsibilities to the development teams. Uh, I'd say a small percentage of companies, the development teams are buying their own security tools. Far more of them have a CISO organization that buys the tools and then the, the development teams use them. But the CISOs know they can't just buy something and force it on the developers. Uh, they have to buy something that the, de- the development team likes. So they've got to bring them into that negotiation and uh, you know, have them trying the tools, helping to choose the right one.
0: And, and what, what kind of conversation or questions do you ask the, either the CISO or the development team as part of the initial discovery process? I mean, just to make sure that it's a, it's a good fit and that there's a problem okay. there that you can help solve.
1: Yeah. My, I always want to find out two things. I want to find out, first of all, how do you build software? Every organization builds software differently. And I liken it to, uh, imagine like a cake, uh, in the cake industry. <laughs> I, there's like mom and pop. I love, shop. I
0: love your analogies, by the way, we go from the post office to the cake industry. Okay. Here, what, what, tell me.
1: <laughs> well, just, just imagine like a mom and pop shop that's building like custom wedding cakes that are super fancy, uh, very expensive and on the other end of the scale is like a tasty cake factory that's pumping out, you know, automated, uh, Twinkies or whatever. And those two companies are both successful businesses, but incredibly different, right? Like one's going to have a small kitchen with, you know, advanced machines. The other one is going to have, you know, a massive amount of factory style, uh, uh, full automation. Uh, it just, you know, it's, it's just a very different kind of thing and everyone builds software differently. Some have, uh, you know, small teams building APIs. Others have large teams building monolithic applications. Everyone's on a sort of a, at a different point in their evolution to DevOps. Like there's very few companies that I would say are like really fully actualized as uh, achieving all the DevOps ideals. And uh, so you have to go find companies where they are and talk to them about, you know, okay, what do your pipelines look like? where is the best place to do security testing? How should we handle the the output? Like, you know, traditional tools, you run a scanner and you get a PDF report and you, you know, companies throw it over the fence to uh, the <laughs> development team who has to, you know, go through a 500 page PDF that's full of false positives. And it's a really uh, unpleasant process. I've been on the receiving end a number of times. Um, so what, what we try to do is understand how they build software, figure out the right place to put the testing, and then figure out the right way for that company to consume the results. So, you know, it's not a PDF report. Like, I, I, I'm i pretty sure in no organization is that the best way to do it, although maybe audit needs the PDFs. but. It's much better to consume those vulnerabilities the way that they consume other problems. Like maybe it's through Jira or maybe it's through Slack or maybe it's by failing a build or maybe it's like right in the IDE, but it depends on how developers build code. Uh, we have to be compatible with that.
0: That, that totally makes sense. So that was, and...
1: the first, so that was actually, the, I, I forgot I said two things. That's the first thing I like to find out. <laughs> and okay. then the second thing is where are you struggling? almost everybody's doing something for security today. Uh, although you still do come across a, a, a company or two that's not doing any appsec. Um, But most folks are doing something. And so I want to figure out like, okay, well, how's it working? Is it slowing down your pipelines uh, to the point where you, you can't put security in the pipeline and you have to do an async process to, to do the security testing and then catch up somehow? Is it uh, you know, are you struggling with false positives? Is that causing you to waste a lot of security expert time or developer time? Uh, did you, you know, do the findings go directly to developers and they have to triage it? Which is tough because they may not know. Are they doing pen testing? You know, there's a bunch of different, you know, aspects of, of how they're working that I like to find out and figure out how can, we, how can we build on what they have? How can we evolve it to make a better, healthier AppSec program?
0: Do you find that most organizations, when you have that conversation, that they're they're open to sharing that information, or are some organizations a little bit protective?
1: It depends on the context. Uh, you know some some organizations are very open, and uh, they they really want to solve the problems. Other ones are are more you know hold things closer to their chest. They treat us uh, you know like a vendor and not a partner. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think what our goal is to over time, build that trust and show them that we're we're a partner working with them to try to help them make a devsecops transformation.
0: Yeah. I am also curious about you know a lot of time developers are really focused on what they perceive to be as the the the, the overall function of the app that they're developing, okay? Um but oftentimes, I mean in the, in the world we live in now, security can be kind of productized or bundled with the app, right? I mean, I don't want to use any app that's not secure. And when I see that little, you know, whatever it is, the HTTPS or something that kind of lets me feel more confident about the security of the product, I'm more inclined to use it. Uh, do Do you see organizations kind of Uh, understanding that security is something that they can actually sell or are are most projects kind of like uh, security is something that we have to add on or is there a a transition there
1: I don't think that a lot of companies are are ready to really be public about what they're doing about security um I think it's going to take some government intervention to Push that, and it's actually happening. Like under the new uh, cybersecurity executive order, there's a number of efforts underway to make for application security in particular much more visible. So with things like software bill of materials or SBOMs, uh, they're talking about labels, uh, and they you know they're NIST is building a program around that. There's a new standard for application security, te- you know, minimum standard for application security testing that that's coming out. But I'll, I'll ask you this: You know, uh, do you bank online? I do. And what do you know about the bank that you use in terms of how they secure your that online app that you're using?
0: You know what? Embarrassingly little. Okay. Um, well, it's not and, your fault. And, it, it
1: shouldn't be embarrassing because there's literally no information. You can't tell whether you you, you know whether they do any security testing. You don't know if they've trained their developers. You don't know if they've secured their libraries. You don't know if they have open vulnerabilities that they haven't fixed. Uh, there's no way for a consumer to know anything about the security of the the sites that they're trusting their lives to. If you think about all the things that we trust to software, it's uh, your finances, your health care, your government your everything, coverage, <laughs> water,
0: your defense. You can't you can't your, get a plumber out to your house without going online and and you know and requesting service and then you enter yeah. all your information right. <laughs> so
1: it's it's really crazy and so you know th- fundamentally you've put your finger on the problem in the appsec market is this this information asymmetry between buyers and sellers. Buyers can't choose between competing products based on security because it's all secret. Mm hmm. And so it it actually there's a, a, a economics principle called market for lemons. And, you know, they, they look at the in, in the economics work, they look at the used car market and they say, hey, you can't ever tell whether the used car is a lemon or not. And so nobody pays full price for a used car. And ultimately, that means that people with good cars can't sell them in the used car market because they can't get a fair price. And so ultimately that means everything in the used car market is a lemon. And it's a little bit the same way with software here. The market is broken and it means that all software is far more insecure than it really should be. The average application has dozens of serious vulnerabilities. And you know, we get upset about, you know, an Equifax or a SolarWinds or, you know, we get upset about these, these problems and we're shocked and appalled that how could you let this happen? But if you know uh, look at the OS top 10 research every application out there's got dozens of serious vulnerabilities that you know they fix them over time and more get introduced but it's not like we're healthy it's far, everything is far more insecure than you would think
0: well thank you for uh, <laughs> <laughs> that great uplifting piece of news there no i mean i think i think we're all aware of that but it's interesting that you bring it up from that perspective because I, I was just sitting here thinking. and I'm like, you know what? Um, I've been looking at my banking um, applications from the user point of view, and because I use multi-factor authentication or two two FA, I'm, yeah. I'm like, well, it's secure. But but that that's just only you know my my the 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 side of the application that that's facing me. Everything yeah. else that's going on behind the scenes there, you're right. I have no idea, no visibility at all, and nobody does. We just trust these organizations. and we kind of you know the, the I guess the bigger the organization or the um the better that they do the job they do with branding, then they kind of inherit some of that trust. But in terms of what's really going on, we don't know. that's pretty scary. Yeah.
1: I spent fifteen years doing pen tests against exactly those kinds of apps in government and finance and uh, insurance and Government. I mean, it's it's things are not as secure as you think.
0: Well, let me ask you this then. Going back to um, you know the tools that that Contrast Security provides. So you know you're working with the the development team um, as the software the app is being developed. Right. Um, But you know the Equifaxes, for example, those were. you know, vulnerabilities that were discovered later, you know, after, you know, the, the, the platform, the product is out there being used, um, yeah. the vulnerabilities discovered and they just failed to install a patch, right? I think they were, you know, it was three or four months after the vulnerability had been discovered. Yep. So, How does your tool kind of, because that's pretty much post-development, is that something that Contrast can help with, or do you have any, some some suggestions uh, around best practices in terms of, obviously, you know, you need patch hygiene, but come on, instead of just saying it, what are some best practices?
1: Yeah, there's really three fundamental processes that every company has to implement to do application security. The first is code hygiene you have to have a process in place to make sure you're not introducing new vulnerabilities into software. And so for, for the Equifax situation, that was an expression language injection. And that's a kind of vulnerability that contrast finds. We don't just look at the custom code and the libraries separately, but we look at the whole application as it's completely assembled and working. And so, uh, you know, we we identify that kind of problem and would have pointed it out to them and uh, they could have gone in and fixed it. Um, so that's, that's one process you have to have. The second process is around what I'll call securing the supply chain. This is, hey, you've got all this software coming in from external sources like uh, open source libraries and other sources. You've got to make sure that you understand the security of those components and can respond quickly if there's a new vulnerability that someone's discovered out there. Which happens, I don't know. It's a you know, probably a few a week that uh, are, are serious enough to really worry about that are coming out that that companies need to deal with. And then the last piece is really focus. Really answers your question. This is the runtime protection piece. And you know, for a long time, the the only way to protect a web application or a web API was with a web app firewall, which protects at the perimeter. And you know, protecting at the perimeter is really tough because of the The mail problem, right? The the, the bomb in the package problem. So, uh, runtime protection, it's also called RASP or runtime application self-protection, is a way of adding protection into a running application that will defend against having vulnerabilities get exploited. So, for expression language, for instance, RASP identifies uh, the use of untrusted data in an expression language evaluation operation and prevents it from exploiting the application. It can even work on, you know, most, most WAFs sort of protect the front door, but actually modern applications, they've got like a zillion backdoors, right? There's queues and APIs on the back end and serverless functions, which is where we started the conversation. Uh, and so applications need to defend themselves, not just at the front door, but like all the side doors and back doors and windows and and everywhere. And so that's something that RASP can do. It makes vulnerabilities much harder to exploit. And so I I think that's a way that you can really respond to new vulnerabilities that come out. You know, if another Equifax happened tomorrow or another Log4Shell came out tomorrow, actually Contrast prevented both of those from being exploited even before they were announced. But imagine there's a new one that's uh, that, that Contrast doesn't protect against, a new class of vulnerabilities. That could come out. But having RASP in place would allow you to quickly deploy a protection across your entire portfolio, as opposed to you know, going spelunking through your uh, your organization trying to find out where you're using a particular library. Contrast would just know and prevent it from being exploited.
0: That's that's good to hear. Let me ask you this: um, When you're deploying your tools, what's the what's the process? And I mean, typically, do you do some type of demo or trial? And then and then if it, if it's a go, how heavy is it? What does it take?
1: Yeah. So contrast, uh, you know, we have a few different products, but I'll just talk about our our Contrast Assess product, which is for finding vulnerabilities. Uh, it installs just like uh, an APM tool, like New Relic or AppDynamics. You add our engine to your application server. It takes, uh, you know, a few seconds. It's really pretty quick. And then after that, that application server will start reporting its own vulnerabilities uh, forever. So it's easy to to demonstrate. And we do usually, uh, you know, do some demos, maybe, a. a proof of value, uh, or we come in and put it on a few of your applications, uh, you can use it. It's all, easy. All you have to do is use the application normally. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if you have a background in, in AppSec, but you could find complex vulnerabilities with Contrast because it's really just use the application normally and Contrast will analyze all of that and de- determine if there's any vulnerabilities there. And then it's the same thing for the, the Contrast Protect, which is uh, the, the production side piece, uh, same agent, same install process. It just runs in production, and the, when you when you put it in that mode to protect against uh, attacks, it's you know it's super high performance, you know sub-millisecond kind of performance um, to protect against you know a broad range of of kinds of vulnerabilities. Both of those include contrast. Uh, they call it SCA, the uh, Software Composition Analysis, which is a fancy way of saying we look at the libraries and make sure you don't have any known vulnerabilities in your applications. So w- we're really trying to cover the, the full ground of AppSec with uh, with our products. Now the serverless piece uh, is a little bit different. There you you install Contrast into your Uh, AWS environment or, you know, any of the other cloud providers. And once you install it there, it analyzes your applications from within that cloud environment. So, Contrast actually puts a function in your environment and it has access to do the inventory, it finds vulnerabilities, it analyzes the libraries. And the the different thing that it does is it analyzes your identity and access uh, management permissions, your IAM permissions to see if you've over-permissioned any functions. Uh, It's, you know, these environments have a nice way of limiting the scope of what those functions can do. And so, Contrast helps you use that function to protect your infrastructure.
0: And, you know, with every new tool, sometimes there's a a reluctance of, oh, we gotta gotta learn a new tool, we need to get a subject matter expert. Uh, and then, and then when you do that, you actually start back down that road to having a siloed, you know, even if that person's part of the team, it's one person who has all that, that, that expertise. Um, what's the process and experience with contrast?
1: So, uh, it, it, again, it depends a little bit on organizations. Some organizations try to use contrasts the way that they traditionally used their scanner tools. They they have, uh, the only people that get access to the results are the centralized AppSec team, and then they proxy them to the development teams. But that's not really efficient. And what we've seen is that organizations sort of quickly abandon that and realize that they're, they can just take the findings and give them straight to the developers. And that cuts down the the feedback loop dramatically. And so uh, ultimately, we've been able to cut down the mean time to remediate pretty dramatically. So from 290 days down to uh, less than a week for most organizations. We also, we measure something called the vulnerability escape rate, which is kind of the rate that you're introducing new vulnerabilities into your applications. And most organizations introduce three or four new vulnerabilities every month into the into each application, which is a pretty high rate. Even if you're finding and fixing them fast, it's a lot of work. So what we really like to see is that rate of new vulnerabilities go down, which tells us that development teams are learning so that they can avoid those problems from existing in the first place. And on average, we get down to less than one new vulnerability per month per app, which starts to sound pretty manageable, right? Like one sure. new vulnerability per month, Per team, that's uh, that's pretty good numbers.
0: Let me ask you this: What advice would you give to somebody who's um, leading a development team, and and they want to facilitate that learning process because that is really important, and then also, you know, have an organization that prioritizes security, which includes obviously identifying issues, but then fixing those issues because you know that there's two parts to it, right? you you got you have to be committed to uh, prioritizing and then and then fixing the the vulnerabilities that you spotted. So what did you know you've seen, you'd work with a lot of different teams? What advice would you give?
1: Yeah, We have two terms we use for it. the The first is we say optimize for learning. And many organizations don't really do that. They'll give vulnerability feedback to a different team than the ones that wrote the code. And they'll give you know there'll be a long delay, so there's not a lot of learning going on. The other term we use is called just-in-time training, and the idea here is as soon as a developer introduces a vulnerability by accident, uh, then we want to give them the feedback right away, in the environment that they're you know in the through the tools they're already using, and if you can make that happen really quickly, then developers can learn. It's actually way more effective than and I, look, I spent years training, uh, developers in secure coding in like instructor led classes. And I made an e-learning product at one point, but giving them feedback right on their code in their environment is way better than like a generic training class that, you know, maybe it's using a different framework or a different language. Uh, there's a translation process that has to happen for developers to their environment, their language, their framework, their code. And so if we can give them feedback on exactly what they're working on, they'll learn. Matter of fact, that's how developers learn. And so getting becoming part of that process, I think, is the key. And when you optimize for learning, that's when you start seeing those vulnerability escape rate numbers go down. And that's when you start making real progress, because then you can become a very cost-efficient AppSec program.
0: I think that's some excellent advice. And, if I can create an analogy or draw a parallel to something myself, it's, you know, that you can have uh, a, a quarterly security training for everybody in your company uh, and people go <laughs> and sit there and then they listen to it and probably they forget it or they don't really see the relevance yeah. or you can do use one of these, you know, these uh, phishing training programs that send out, you know, you, you know, fake malicious emails. And when somebody (laughs) clicks on it immediately, they're alerted, Hey, in kind of a, in a, in a helpful, sometimes humorous, but definitely uh, in a, in a manner that draws attention to the fact that, Oh, that's what they're talking about. I don't want to click on that attachment, or I do want to check with this. And and it, it, it's so much more effective that way. Um, and and I totally agree.
1: That's a great analogy. Thank you. I got one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, hey, actually, hey. we do one other thing that I think is really important as part of that, that whole recipe mm-hmm. is uh, we take the data from production about who's attacking, what kind of attacks they're using on your applications, which systems are being targeted that we call that threat intelligence. And we take that information and we feed it back to development teams so that they have real visibility into what's happening to their code in the real world. And it just kind of connects the loop. You know, it's one thing to get a, you know, a, a, a boring security alert that says, hey, you've got uh, XXE in your code here, you need to fix it, blah, blah. And they're like, well, I'm busy. I got some functionality I need to build. But if you add that, that other thing that says, hey, and attackers are attacking it with this attack on this URL right now, Right. It just becomes way more real. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, man, I got to fix that.
0: That's an excellent, excellent observation. Um, hey, Jeff, let me ask you this. Uh, well, a couple things. If any of our listeners want more information about Contrast Security, I'm sure they can go to your website. Do you want to tell us the URL that's best for them to go to?
1: Yeah, it's uh, just contrastsecurity.com. And there's a, a bunch of stuff there and uh, more details on our product. There's also, you know, some great videos on DevSecOps and uh, S-bombs and a whole bunch of other topics.
0: And are you going to be going to any industry events this year?
1: Uh, we're starting to do that, yes. Yeah, so I've got my first one is in New York in a couple of weeks, but uh, look for us at all the major AppSec conferences, uh, all the major security conferences actually will be there.
0: Okay, and last question <clears throat> for any of our listeners that would like you know more information about best practices uh, related to securing their their development or uh, secure DevOps, yeah. where would you point them?
1: Well, OWASP is great. I mean, I think a lot of the the really interesting projects and research are at OWASP. So, I you know for for anybody that uh, is getting started in AppSec, uh, which is a great thing to do, by the way. Um, but I would highly recommend going to uh, to OWASP and going to some of their conferences, maybe joining up with a local chapter, and learning that way. Um, I also highly encourage you to really get get fluent in DevOps uh, and DevSecOps. I would start by reading the Phoenix Project, uh, Gene Kim's great book on uh, you know understanding modern software development. Uh, it's a story, so it's not a slog. it's uh, it's actually a, a book and it's fun to read. it's uh, it's quick, but uh, it does a great job of getting the the topic across. And uh, then of course, I'll just uh, you know shameless plugs, connect to me <laughs> on LinkedIn. and uh, I, I post a bunch of articles. and many of them are are designed to help folks that are getting started in appsec um, because you know I spent twenty years, uh, doing the work and made all the mistakes possible, so I try to write about them and uh, let people know how how I solved some of those.
0: Well, thanks, Jeff. Hey, I've I've enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot. I have literally uh, two pages of notes here, uh, so uh, <laughs> so thank you for that. I've got my homework, uh, you know, right here in front of me, but uh, appreciated uh, your time today and would like to wish you and the Contrast Security team a great 2022.
1: Thanks Mark, appreciate it. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your
0: trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools and technology related to cybersecurity and